0: Give you guys a quick review to make sure, because last week Brother Bedwell was here. That was awesome, wasn't it? How exciting that they're now supported by hope. That gives us 21 missionaries on the field right now, praise God. Um, so what we're going to do last week, Last time we met, we were actually in a message which was called the Foundations of Holiness. That was in Joshua chapter 21. It was verses 34 through 40. And what we did was we were really closing our examination of all the Levitical Levitical tribes and how God was providing for them cities. And what we saw was this was in regard or in response to their faithful service unto the Lord with one of their primary responsibilities being the caretaking of the tabernacle, God's dwelling place, on earth. And what we noticed in that message when we looked at the children of Merari was the fact that that Levitical clan was responsible for all of the, what would we say, what I call them, structural (laughs) components, the structural components of the tabernacle. These were boards and bars and pillars. These were the things that were unseen. And what we did is we considered these elements that they were responsible for in regard to that dwelling place as we correlate it kind of to the unseen aspects of our lives. Because recognize these structural members weren't things that you would see. That's what gave the the tabernacle its strength, its stability, and its shape. And what we did was we understood that, guess what? In regards to our faith, there are some things that are unseen, that are the structural elements of our faith, things like prayer, things like fasting, things like time in the Word of God, things like a holy and a righteous life, things that others don't see, but boy, you know what it does? It forms the foundation and the structure of our faith. And we looked at the aspect of how it worked for them, the boards, the bars, the pillars. Each one of those elements made certain that this was a place that was, that was right, that it, was, that it had the right, uh, that it was holy, that it was complete, that it would be a place where God's dwelling place, where God would come to earth. And see, there was an Old Testament tabernacle. It was a physical building. But see, now there's a different tabernacle. It's us. The Bible says that we are the temple of God, and this is the structural aspects. This is our life, right? Are we holy? Are we representative of the Lord? And then we looked at the logistics of actually moving these parts, because, again, their responsibility was to not only take care of them, but they were supposed to move them from place to place. And we saw that they were very, very heavy and covered in gold, and they weighed thousands and thousands of pounds. So we thought about the logistics of this moving of these parts and that message that, or that, that point was called the weight of righteousness. And what we did was we really thought about logistically them looking at this giant pile of gold and wood, literally tons of materials, and God saying, hey, this is your responsibility. And what we did is we compared their burden to the burden that many of us carry, trying to live our lives for the glory of God. How many of us have carried some weights? How many of us are carrying weights today today? You brought them in here with you. <laughs> you dragged them down the aisle. They're sitting by your seat with you, right? And so there are weights that are on our hearts. And you know what we saw with the Mariah was this awesome thing, which is the fact that God gave them this insurmountable task, this heavy weight to carry. But you know what we saw? What, he saw? what we saw was the fact that what, and this, what it taught us was this, is that God will not give us a weight to carry, that he will not also offer a way to lift that weight off of us. Because those Marites were offered carts to put those things on. And when we come in here with all the weight of the world, yeah. God's saying, hey, you know what you can do? You can cast your care upon me. Amen. That weight that you're carrying, that you think you're going to take responsibility to fix, why don't you give it to me? Amen. Beautiful Amen. principle and idea. Then we looked at the last aspect, which was the interdependence of these different components. When the Marites brought all the parts and pieces together, each one of the parts had to work together. And we really correlated and understood the comparison to the church where each of us, big and small, have responsibilities. And when we come together and we function as one, guess what? God received glory. That's the purpose. That was what the tabernacle was all about, that God's glory would come to earth. And when we do our jobs, guess what? We manifest the glory of God as a church, and we start to minister to our community. And people come here that are broken, Mm -hmm. that are hurting, and they say, you know, I just need to walk in the door. I just need to get in there. Scott's going to do some work in my life. And it's not this place, and it's not these people. It's God that does the work. Amen. We're just simply here as representatives of him. So we looked at the different clans of the Levites and what God had given to them, and we recognized that there was uh, this gifts that were given. And what we're going to do today, if you've looked ahead, you've looked at these two verses, and you're like, yeah, yeah, this is going to be interesting. Because all we're getting really is a summation of what took place. God tells us the number of cities that were given, and then he basically says, this is what was, this is what was done. But what we'll notice is today we're not only going to focus on the cities themselves that were given to them, but we're also going to focus on the grounds that were around the cities. And that's why today's message is titled, Suburbs and All. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. Thank you, God, for the work you have done in my heart. Lord, you know my desire today is not to get in the way in any way, shape, or form, uh, God, I am burdened, uh, Lord, with a weight, uh, Father, for someone here, and I don't even know who it is. And I can feel it. And Lord, I know there's some that are here that are carrying heavy things. And Lord, they're, they're searching for peace and they're searching for rest. And Lord, I know that you can provide it. And Lord, I, so I pray for today that you would help me to get out of the way. Lord, I am the one thing that can get in the way of this message. It won't be the word and it won't be you. It'll be me. So, Lord, please help remove the human element of this message and help me to set myself aside that you would speak to all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, oh, good. I have a tissue, thank God, because I'm going to be in trouble. All right. and I'm crying already. We haven't even gotten started. This is not good. I'm going to be a blubbering mess by the time we're done here. Woo! All right. I need sponges like taped right here on my face, on, on the bottom of my glasses. There you go. That's, I need some glasses with some sponges. All right. Anyway. I'll plan that out later. Joshua twenty-one verses forty-one through forty-two says all the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were forty and eight cities with their suburbs. These cities were every one with their suburbs round about them. Thus were all the cities. Again and again we have read about these specific cities, but we'll also see that the word suburbs has also followed that word in this in Joshua twenty-one alone. The word suburb has shown up 57 times. So obviously, God does not want us to miss the suburbs. He's held, He's telling us, hey, listen, pay attention. So we think about suburbs when we consider it. We think about maybe where we live, right? We think, I don't live in the city. I live in the burbs, right? So that's kind of the perception that we have. And what I thought was, we'll look up Webster's Dictionary, and I, I wrote down three different, different def, definitions they have for a suburb. It says, first of all, an outlying part of a city or a town Secondly, it says a smaller community adjacent to or within commuting distance of a city. And then the last one is a residential area on the outskirts of a city or a large town. Now, what you're going to find is that the biblical definition is pretty close to that with one really major detail that's going to be left out because what we're going to do is go to the Bible to help us to define what it is that the suburb is. And when we go to what the the Levites, when they approached Joshua to remind him about what they were supposed to receive, if you guys remember, they came and said, hey, don't forget to to give us our cities. Don't forget. Remember what God said? Well, this is their reminder here in Joshua 21, verse 2. It says, and they spake unto them at Shiloh. In the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded by the hand of Moses, Joshua, just in case you forgot it, by the hand of Moses, to give us cities to dwell in with suburbs thereof for our cattle. So we see that the cattle are important. Then we go to Joshua 14. We step back a little further. We look at another aspect where it's mentioned again, another detail, Joshua 14, 4. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Therefore they gave no part unto the Levites in the land. So they had no personal inheritance, but they were save cities to dwell in with their suburbs for their cattle and for their substance. We see the cattle and their substance. And so we see referenced here of these these suburbs were intended for their cattle, for their possessions. And we see that the cities were literally defined for them to dwell in. So what we're going to do is using kind of those two verses, we're going to develop our two points. And what we're going to do is compare sort of the idea of God's provision of a place to live And also God's provision of a place for a livelihood. Our first point today is called a place to reside. A place to reside. So cities to dwell in. The cities that were given to the Levites were specifically given them for the purpose for them to live there, to dwell in. These were nestled. Remember that they were nestled in amongst the inheritance of the other Israelites. These cities were spread out throughout the property that was given. So it was a place of rest for the Levites, where they could dwell in peace. That was what their home was supposed to be. This city was intended to be a refuge for the servants of God. And you know what? That's still what God intends for our homes to be today. Yeah. You know your home is supposed to be a refuge? It isn't someplace where we go and we're like, oh, God, I don't want to walk in the door. I do not want to walk in the door. Right. Sometimes that's where people live, man. The the most controversial, destructive place they have in their life is actually the place where they live, which is supposed to be the place where they find peace and they find rest. It's intended for our homes to be places of peace and rest, a place where, listen, the dedicated to God would find rest and peace. And so when we think about our homes, it's one of the things, you know, when people come to our house, which we have people in our house all week long, people are always in our house. But what's so cool about it is when everybody comes, you know what they always say? Man, it feels peaceful in here. It's just so relaxing, so restful. And you know what's interesting is, you know, according to Titus chapter 2, verse 5, that's the responsibility of a wife. Husbands and wives, guess what? A wife is supposed to be a keeper of the home. Who makes that place restful? Who makes it peaceful? It's her responsibility. The husband's job is certainly to provide and to protect, but listen, when it comes down to it, the wife is supposed to create that environment where healing can take place, where, where there's comfort. Right. Where there's where there's peace. And so we recognize the realization of these places were given to them as a reward to them. And it was a reward as of because of their faithfulness. They had done what God asked of them. And God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to provide cities for you to dwell in. Their faithfulness was the reason for their reward. And so we look at that and we go, "Okay." this reward of faithfulness is a place of peace and a place of rest. Now, look at what Paul says to us, right? Listen to this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. It says, let your moderation be known unto all men. Okay, when it talks about the moderation, it's talking about the testimony of our lives. People look at us, they see the moderation of our life. They see there's something different about who we are. And notice this, let your moderation be known unto all men. And look at this last little part. The Lord is at hand. And that's going to be an important phrase that I want you to hold on to. The Lord is at hand. Basically saying the Lord is at hand. There. When your testimony of peace and rest is evident in the lives, people go, There's something else going on there. there. Jesus is somehow a part of this thing. People see something different. Those that know who are Christians go, Man, you know what? They're walking with Christ. People that don't know the Lord say, Yeah, it doesn't make sense, but they got something going on that I don't know what it is, but I kind of like it, right? So Paul is referencing a testimony of faithfulness to God that reveals the fact that the Lord is is there. And I can tell you, man, a faithful testimony of Christ. It speaks volumes to the lost world. It speaks volumes to the lost world. People are looking for the very thing that God has gifted us with that many of us don't even take advantage of. Mm. We're given peace and rest to a relationship in Christ, and yet many of us live in turmoil. Mm. doesn't make sense. Paul continues as he directs us to how it is we can effectively have this impact. Are you guys with me? Yeah. Yeah. All right, seems very quiet. I'm just making sure y'all are not all asleep. I get that painted your eyes on, like, you know, people paint fake eyes and you go to sleep. All right. Just make, you have realized. realize. All right. Just making sure. All right. Um, verse 6 says this. Be careful for nothing. Check this out. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Listen, let your requests be made known unto God. What are you saying? Faithfully follow God's leading. Allow the Lord to guide every aspect of your life. Make him your refuge. This is your, this is our role. This is what we're supposed to do. Verse 7. And what will happen? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Right? So we see peace, right? We see peace in our hearts and in our minds. And it says it passeth all understanding. So the world looks and says, I don't understand how you have peace in the midst of the turmoil that your life is. Right? It does not make sense because it is not of man. It is of God. Can I ask you this? Do you dwell in and with Jesus? You might be saved, but are you dwelling with Him? Right? Is He your your source of peace and rest? Or have we allowed the cares of the world to consume us so much so that we've lost sight of who it is we are in Christ and we're literally just look like everybody else, living in fear and doubt, constantly struggling with the cares of the world? What we see pictured in these cities is God's provision of a safe place for His servants to dwell. And then Paul goes and gives us additional instructions about how it is we can not only attain it, but maintain it. Notice this, a place of rest, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, of good report... If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. This is where you should focus your attention. Don't get overwhelmed by all the thoughts of all the the condemnation, the failures. No, 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 no. That's not where you focus your time. Focus on these positives. Listen verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. You know what Paul's saying? What you've seen in my testimony that I've lived among you. What does he say? Do. 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 And what will happen? And the God of peace, listen, will be with you. The Lord is there, right? This is the goal, right? So God's with us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never leave us. Yet we can feel like we're distant from Him, not because God puts distance between us and Him, but because we put distance between us and God. You know what? It's unrighteousness. It's things that we know are wrong, and we consciously do them, and we're saying, You know what, God? Though you've called me to be here, I choose to be here. And then we'll say things like, well, you know, maybe God doesn't love me. Oh, you know, maybe he's not really there. And we get further and further down the road because the devil lies to us and tells us, you know what? I know he gave you a promise, but you know what? You can't keep. He doesn't keep his promises. From the very beginning, he's been trying to twist God's words. And can I tell you, he's a liar and the father of it. The condemnation that we experience in this life never comes from God. God's not a condemner. You know what God does? God exhorts us to be better. He's constantly challenging us to be better. He's drawing us into a close love relationship with Him. Mm -hmm. You see, unlike the Levites, who are really, their concern is more primarily on a physical threat, right? (laughs) But what happens for you and I? Where does our battle traditionally take place? Mm -hmm. Right? It'll keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, right? This is the goal, right? We are supposed to realize the fact that we're in a spiritual war. Can I tell you, when you wake up in the morning, as soon as you open your eyes, you are in a battle, Many times while we're sleeping, yeah. who's ever just woken up and be like, oh, yeah. man, yeah. I was just fighting for my life, for goodness sakes. Jeepers, yeah. creepers, man. Your heart's pounding and you're like, oh, oh, man, oh, man, crazy stuff happens in our dreams. Yeah. And can I tell you, a lot of times it has a spiritual connotation. It's trying to tear us down or get us started on the wrong foot, right? right? I can carry this garbage into my day. So what we find is the fact that it, for us, it manifests in a spiritual battle. What they're, they're dealing with is a physical one. And what we recognize is the fact that ultimately, you and I find ourselves looking for an understanding that it is a spiritual fight that we're in, but we're looking for a spiritual peace. Yeah. And what's so cool is, check this out, in the not-too-distant future, right, theirs was an issue of physical. Ours is an issue of spiritual. There will come a time on this earth when there will be a time where it is a both spiritual time and a physical time, mm-hmm. right? And this is very, very cool. And there will be a city, a very unique city with 12 gates. And what's so cool about these 12 gates is each of these 12 gates is named after every one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And what's so interesting is this will be a time period called the millennial reign of Christ. It'll be a 1,000 year time period where guess what there's gonna be on the earth? Peace. And rest. How interesting is that? Peace and rest. And you know what's so cool? Check this out. Little side note here. When we go to those 12 tribes and we look at those 12 gates during the millennial reign, there was something that took before, took place before the millennial reign, which is called the tribulation. And during the tribulation, there's 144,000 witnesses from the 12 tribes. And they're sent out to witness to the world. And they're all supposed to go out. But there's one that's excluded in that group. Of the 144,000, all 12 tribes are represented except for the tribe of Dan. Because Dan were idolaters. And because of their idolatry, God did not use them to reach the world. They were excluded from that group. But to show you the heart of God. When you get to the millennium and those names are laid out, you know the first one that he lists? Dan. Dan. You failed me, Dan, but guess what? I made a covenant. I made a promise to you way back, thousands of years ago. Yes. I'll keep it all the way to the end. Yeah. Amen. And though you failed, I will not fail, Dan. You, How awesome is that? Man, we can be a mess and God can still work through us. Praise God. Amen. Otherwise, I would not be here. <laughs> That's a fact. Amen. Jeremy losing my voice. This is not good. I got a lot of preaching to do next week or two. All right, here we go. So we're looking at these... Twelve tribes. Where in the world am I? I just went all crazy. Okay. A planet, right? So we're going to be at, this will be a time where there is rest on the earth, right? A time of, of, of where God is going to reign, to the millennial reign of Christ. And again, there will be a city, a very specific city, and there's suburbs around it. And this type, the city has a very unique title. We go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 48, verse 35. It says this. And it was round about, about 18,000 measures, talking about the size of the city. And the name of the city from, notice this wording, That day, right, that day is a marker for the coming return of Christ. That day shall be, notice what this says. Look at the name of the city. The Lord Lord is there. there. The The Lord is there. And what did Paul said? The Lord is at hand. Guess what? The Lord is there. He said, hey, guess what? This millennial city that you're looking forward to, guess what? You can experience it right now. Guess what? He's with you now. It isn't something that has to be only in the future. Yes, we'll experience peace and rest then. Praise God. But he's saying, hey, you can have peace and rest right Amen. now. Do you not realize I'm offering you it today? Yes. Notice what he says in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And what will he do? I will give you rest. Give you rest. How cool is Thank that? You. The Lord desires for us to experience peace and rest, exactly as Ezekiel said. Listen, if we're going to experience a place of rest, Peace and rest, no, peace and rest, thank you very much, it will be because guess what? The Lord is there. Is there yeah. Right? Yeah. Because the Lord is there. Can I ask you this? Is He your rest? Mm-hmm. Yep. Is He your rest? Yes. Are you running to Him? Or are you allowing the cares of the world to consume your thoughts and minds? We walk by faith mm-hmm. and not by sight. Mm-hmm. Because if we walk by sight, we'll live in fear. Yeah. So we see here the uniqueness of these Cities, they're a place to dwell in without a doubt, but there's some other cool components. There's another detail about these cities that is abundantly clear, and God makes certain to under, for us to pay attention to and recognize that all of these cities were to be provided to the Levites out of the inheritance of the other tribes, right? They, were, they had inheritance and they were received these cities, but it would be within the land, within the gift that God had given to their mm-hmm. brethren. And so God's fulfilling a promise that he made to the Levites, By way of the people of God. Do we see that? Yeah, God's making provision. He's answering or giving uh, fulfillment of his promise through his people. Listen to what Paul says to you and I. Galatians chapter 6.10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Notice this. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. God's talking about us ministering to others. The, the 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 Israelites are ministering to their brethren by providing these cities, ministering unto those that are in need. This is what God's calling us to do. We're supposed to minister to the spiritual to the spiritual needs of people, certainly, but also to the physical needs. There are people right now that are struggling. Right, I, I, I was talking to uh, to Asia on on Wednesday. And she was saying that I remember, you know, coming from a tough place in my life, how it was the physical ministering of the church also on top of the spiritual that really helped me. And she has a heart to do that. And you know the heart of this church, man. We have more land, or more space. Man, we want to have a food pantry where people that, are in, that have need of food and their family say, listen, we can't take our, our family. Well, man, come. We'll give it to you. We don't have clothing for our kids. We don't have school bags for school. Come and get it. We'll give it to you because we want to minister to the physical needs of people. But at the same time, we don't want to do just the physical That's a trap that people fall into. What happens is you become a humanitarian organization, right? The Red Cross, the Salvation Army. Listen to the name Salvation Army. They were solely focused on one thing, the souls of men. And over time, guess what? It became a humanitarian effort where the gospel's not even mentioned. We have to always keep the gospel at the forefront of what we do because if you give someone a physical help here on earth, then all it does is extend their time on the planet, but they go to hell. What was the point? To pat ourselves on the back and say we're good people? No, let's care for the souls of men. Very, very, very important. That's not my message, but that's just a side point. Anywho, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And notice what Paul, or what Jesus says in response to these. He says this after he's describing people that care for the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, and the imprisoned. Talking about the physical needs. Notice what he says here in Matthew 25, verse 40. And it says, and the king, as he shares this, the king capitalized talking of God. The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, listen, my brethren, listen, ye have done it unto me." Amen. Yep. So when you are ministering to these people, guess what you're actually ministering to me. right? When you are being faithful to me, you're also being faithful faithful to them. What the Israelites are doing here is they're literally providing a picture of us recognizing how God makes provision. And ministers to those in our community. It's this willingness to give of what they have. Because can I tell you right now, there are people in our community who have no idea what real peace is. Yeah. Yep. There are people that we have met that you will see at the store. They've never ever experienced a place where they've actually had rest. Mm-hmm. There are some people who live in a constant state of fear. They've been hunted maybe since they were a child. The amount of child trafficking and the things that are going on in the world and the stories you hear as you hear testimonies of young women that have gone through horrific things as childhood and men that have gone through horrible things as children. Can I tell you, those broken people are all around us right now, and you know what? They've never experienced real peace. They've never experienced real rest. They don't know what it means to be restored. They're looking at the world for answers and TikTok idiots. Did I say that out loud? Sorry. TikTok people that are trying to give them information, philosophers, whatever, right? (laughs) that are looking to the world for answers, and the world will not give them answers. Right. The world will give them destruction on a plate that will have all kinds of frosting and beautiful sugar on top. But when they eat it, guess what it'll do? It'll leave them empty and broken. Right. And so we have an option here that we can minister to those those in need. And there are so many people, and that's their story. Remember what Matthew eleven twenty eight said, right? Come unto me all ye, all ye that labor. And what does he say? And I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Can I tell you, if you're carrying the weight of the world today, let it go. The Lord wants rest not only for those who know him, but guess what? For those who don't. This broken world needs Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is that he loves them all. He doesn't pick and choose and decide who's worthy and who's not. He loves every single one of us. Mm -hmm. And so he's called us to minister to this broken world. He's called us to be the hands and feet of Christ the body of Christ ministering to the world. Are you guys okay? Yeah. You guys either are really intensely listening, or I'm just about to put you to sleep. My wife says I have a very comforting voice. It's not good. If I had a grating, irritating voice, you'd be like, "God, I can't go to sleep." That's for sure. At least you will think I'm paying attention. Anywho, so we have to be willing, right, to give of ourselves. That's what's interesting about this is the Israelites. They've been given their inheritance. When they get it, God says, "Hey, guess what." Some of the prime cities in that thing, I want you to give them away. And you know what they do? They just do it. So we're, we've got to be willing to give our time, our talents, and our treasures. Are we willing to give or minister to others? Do yeah. we willing to give up our treasures, our gifts? Mm-hmm. Many times we want to save our time because it's just special for me. Mm-hmm. Many we want to have our resources and we go, no, no, this is, this is for me. Mm-hmm. Recognize being dedicated to give to others requires sacrifice, but boy, oh boy we are laying up treasures in heaven. And that's the key is to remember that this is not about earthly treasures. It's about, it's about heavenly. Are we like the Israelites willing to give up our blessings in order, to give, in order to provide for others? Listen, God wants humanity to dwell with him, not only in the millennium, but now. He's trying to restore people as we speak, which brings us to another aspect of these unique Levitical cities. And what happens here is the fact that there's they were supposed to have influence in the places where they were. Remember, they're evenly distributed all throughout the Israelites. So what they're supposed to be is these holy cities with these Levitical individuals. They're supposed to be impacting those around them. And what we'll find is, guess what? You and I, we live in a uh, live amongst communities. We live around people. And we're supposed to be a representation or or an influence to show people what it looks like to live a godly life. Our life is supposed to be a light to other people. Our testimony to our community as a church, right? It says on on our sign, a place of restoration. And it's great to have it written on the sign. But it would be much better if the body of Christ, just through the way we interact with this community, everyone said, you know what, I've never seen the sign before, but I know if I need to be restored, those folks, Amen. you know what? They'll love on me. Yeah. They'll love on me. How many of y'all were needed to be restored when you came here? Amen. Right? I mean, most of us. I mean, me too. Well, God planted this church, man, I mean, we were still a mess. Still trying to heal from so much church hurt and garbage that had happened in our lives. And God ministered through you guys to us and through the word to us. And we minister back to you. And it's just, just awesome. Anyway, I love Amen. how God works. Amen. But anywho, we talked about John 17, right? We talked about the fact that God has a purpose and a plan. And we recognize the fact that here, Jesus is warning the, uh, warning the people. Actually, I've gotten to John 17 yet, but we're getting ready to. <laughs> he warns them about the hatred that the world is going to have towards them. But what I want you to pay attention to is what is actually he's communicating to us, right? Because we notice here that the Levites are supposed to be amongst the people. They're supposed right. to be with them in their communities, but there's supposed to be something different about them. Notice what he says here in John 17, verses 15 through 18. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, I pray not... That thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. How do I sanctify them? Through thy truth, thy word is truth. How do we set them apart? How do we separate them? But through the word of God. They start to understand what it means to be godly, what it means to look like Christ. Mm -hmm. And in verse 18 says this, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. So he's saying, listen, God, I don't want you to remove them from the world. I want you to leave them there. Just keep them out of the evil. Use your word to reveal evil to them so they understand it, so they understand what it is, how they can live a godly life. But now understand that while they're there, we want to send them out to impact others. Right? Do we see the picture here? Why are the Levites spread out amongst their people? Because guess what? They're supposed to influence the rest of them. The Levites being where they were is a calculated plan that they would live among their brethren. But while they lived among them, interestingly enough, there also needed to be a level of separation. Mm -hmm. There needed to be some division in these Levitical cities because they were intended to be holy, remember? They were intended to be different. And this is where the suburbs come in. Check this out. A place to thrive, our second point. With suburbs round about them. In order to get a more sort of a well-rounded understanding of what the suburbs suburbs are. We saw what it said in Joshua chapter 21. We saw what it said in Joshua Joshua 14. But now we're going to go all the way back to when God instructs them about what the actual suburbs were. Did you all know the word suburb was in the Bible? I didn't. I mean, I never really paid attention. I was like, suburbs, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Who knew? All right. Go back to Numbers chapter 35, verses 1 through 8. It says and the Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. So they're still in the wilderness. Command the children of Israel that they give unto the Levites of the inheritance of their possession cities to dwell in. We see and ye shall give also unto the Levites. Notice this. He makes a point. They're going to get cities. Give. He says. said. Ye shall give also unto the Levites suburbs for their cities round about them. And the cities shall they have to dwell in. And the suburbs of them. Here he's going to define it for us. They shall be for their cattle and for their goods, and for all their beasts. And the suburbs of the cities, which he shall give unto the Levites, shall, get, shall reach from the wall of the city, and outward a thousand cubits round about. And verse, tw- verse 5 says, continuing, so what, when he says this, he says, and you shall measure from without the city, it's saying that extending beyond that thousand. So we go out a thousand, he says, without the city, now further out. On the east side, 2,000 cubits. On the south side, 2,000 cubits. On the west side, 2,000 cubits. On the north side. 2,000 cubits, and the city shall be in the midst, this shall be to them the suburbs of the city. So God is very intent to make certain that we understand those suburbs are there. And then he tells us kind of how or what they actually are. He says that the suburbs are to be 1,000 cubits out from the walls of the city, and then there'd be an additional 2,000 cubits beyond that. Now, what we did a few weeks ago is when we were talking about the, the boards and the bars and the pillars, we talked about a cubit. A cubit is basically a measurement from here to here. That's how they would measure. So we estimate it to be about 18 inches. So 1,000 cubits would be about 1,500 feet. Then if we go to 2,000 cubits, that's 3,000 feet. So we're talking about a circle from the city out 4,500 feet. Now, if you were to calculate based upon the size of the city, this could be anywhere between 12 and 15 square miles. This is a massive, massive space. And so we recognize. First of all, and even what's believed is in that first 1,500, that first 1,000 cubits, this is where they would warehouse the animals. This is where they take care of their resources. And then what would have beyond that, that extra section, was for them to graze their animals. So interestingly enough, we recognize the fact that there was a level of separation. There was something that God wanted in place to set them apart from the rest of them. And as we said back in John 17, there's supposed to be a, an aspect that we are in the world. We're not supposed to be. Of the world, right? So, we're, are we supposed to look like everybody else? No. no. So, there should be something that sets us apart from the people that we're amongst right? We're supposed to have an influence in their lives, but we're not supposed to be just like them. Remember what Jesus, what Jesus was talking about when he was asked that aspect of not removing them from the world, but leaving them there. And what was the purpose? Remember he said they would sanctify them, separate them by the word. So he's saying, listen, for them to dwell on this earth, there'll need to be some level of separation, something that keeps them away from the rest in the world. They need to be different. And we go to 2 Corinthians 6, verses 17 through 18. What does it tell us? Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You see, God left us on this earth. He saved us after salvation. Because listen, if, if, if this whole thing, and I've said this to you before, but if, listen, if it was all about God simply saving you, if it was just about having a close relationship with you, can I tell you that when you got saved, he would kill you on the spot? Because there's no way for you to be closer to God than to be dead and with him in heaven. So what he does, he says, listen, so it's not about just having a close relationship. And I know you're going to focus on your Bible reading and you want to be close to me and great. But there's a job to do. There's a mission to be accomplished. Do you not realize I'm not taking you out of the world because I want you to reach the world, right? What did he tell us? Go into all the world. So there's a job. There's a responsibility for us as believers And if we don't look like the rest of the world, then guess what? They won't see a difference in us. That's the whole purpose. That's what's being pictured for us in these suburbs. It's this division of separation. Because remember, what are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be a light to those that are consumed in the darkness. We're supposed to be a light. What does light do? If you are hopeless and in the dark and you see a light, what does it do? Oh. Oh, Right? You're in the middle of the ocean. Your ship sank and you're looking it's pitch black. And all of a sudden, there's light on the horizon. <gasps> man, oh man, you got new energy. You're ready to swim for that light. It gives hope, and that's why God talks about it. Yeah. Notice this in Matthew 4, 5, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says this. He says, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. He's saying, listen, if it's up there with no obstructions, it is a light that everyone can see. That's the goal. But then listen, verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. He said, no one lights a candle and then covers it up. No. What do they do? They He says, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So those that are consumed in the darkness can receive light because that light is up high. It's not obstructed. So guess what the world does? The world obstructs our light, Mm. right? Think about the sun and the moon, right? We're supposed to be a reflection. Philippians chapter 2 teaches us that we're supposed to shine as lights. It's talking about the fact that the sun is a picture of God. It rises in the east and it sets in the west, the way God moves. And when the sun shines in the day, man, it's a spiritual day. But see, we also have a spiritual night that took place when Jesus ascended from this earth, when he left this earth. Can I tell you, we fell into a spiritual night. We are currently in a spiritual night. That's why the, 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 the compulsion is to you and I that we shine as lights in the crooked and perverse generation. He says, because you know what? The moon that you see at night is a picture of what you're supposed to do. When it's dark, you're supposed to reflect the light of the sun. That is your job. But if you let too much of the world get between you and the sun, guess what? There's an eclipse. And so the world is constantly trying to get in between us and God. Does anybody give a testimony of that? I mean, hello, turn on anything, watch anything, be around anybody. Goodness gracious, the world's constantly trying to get between us and God. But if it's a clear view, guess what, man? The sun or the moon can shine bright. And my question is, how is our light? How is our light? If we evaluate where we are, how is our light? Are we too close to the world that's obstructing that light? Or are we on a mountaintop? Or are we on a candlestick so that that light shines bright? That's what God created us for. It's why he left us here to be a light. But in order to thrive, recognize they're in their roles as Levites, they had to ensure that their resources, what they had was going to be, this is their food supply, their possessions, all that they had. It had to be under their authority because recognize if it was not under their authority, they had to trust someone else and recognize they want to have total control because they want to make certain, certainly of the fact that what they're doing is holy. But also they want to provide for themselves, making provision for oneself. This is an important part of being in the world. Recognize God wants us to provide for our own resources. Not only would them receiving from someone else put a, a, a danger of sanctification because of the fact they wouldn't be able to control their resources, but also it would put an unfair burden on their brethren. Recognize they would not be able to care for themselves. If they were just in the cities and there's no suburbs, they would literally have to be getting their food and everything they had from someone else. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 talks about those that are unwilling to work. Notice this, 10 through 12. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For he that, uh, so for he that there are, so, so we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, notice what they're doing, but are busybodies. <laughs> oh my goodness, idle hands. What are you doing? I don't know what you're doing. I'm not working. Are you want to work? No. You want to play video games? Okay they're <laughs> busybodies, right these people wasting time verse 12 says this now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that, we, that with quietness they work and listen eat their own bread mm-hmm. let them work for what it is they have right. you gotta realize God created us for work if you go to back to Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 you know what you find out that God took Adam and he placed him in the garden this is before Eve ever came along you know why Because Eve would be made from a rib, from him. Where did Adam? Adam was formed from what? The dust of the the ground. The dust of the earth. So he was a piece of earth. And guess what? Before God would entrust Adam to care for this other piece of dirt, Eve, that would come from the earth. Recognize this. He put him in the garden. And notice what it says. To dress it. And keep it. He was supposed to work in the garden and prove that he could take care of that earth, that piece of earth, before God entrusted him with a really, really special Amen. piece. That's right. Amen. And you know what a gardener is called in the Bible? A husbandman. Mm-hmm. A husbandman. And he's supposed to care for his wife. Right? There's so many things in the Bible that we just miss. Right. This is an important principle that God's teaching. But what we're showing is, listen, you were created to work. This is what you were created to do. Because putting in a hard day's work, you know what it does? Man, oh man, it's fulfilling. Yeah. There's dignity in working hard. There's dignity in, in putting ourselves and accomplishing something. Who's ever been at a time in your life where you weren't working? You just felt like, you know what, and you're just twiddling your thumbs. Oh my goodness gracious. Is that not just so difficult? It's so hard. Now, listen, if you don't have a job but you're working in your home, you are working. Dude, if you're raising kids, girl, you are working. Boy, you are working. You are putting in effort. You are doing something. I'm talking about you're just sitting around and doing nothing. You wake up, you're like, I can sleep till noon because i got nothing to do. I'm going to feed myself, and I'm going to lay back down. I'm gonna when we sit around and do nothing, man, it just degrades us internally. And what we find is the fact that God created us for this productiveness. God wants us to work, but what there's a danger in that. Recognize what can happen to us. As a side note, pay attention. If we get in love with the feeling that we get from being productive What will happen? Now, what is supposed to be done for the glory of God, right? We're supposed to work and do all that we do for the glory of God. But if we're not careful, that feeling that we get from being productive, that ceiling of accomplishment can start to become exciting. And we can start to work not for the sake of what God's receiving glory, but for us to receive glory. And the next thing you know, our job can become our God. And if we're not careful, we've got to always remember, why do we do what we do? Why does God include this little warning here in Scripture in Colossians chapter 3, 23 and 24? Whatsoever you do, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. That's talking about other people, but it's also talking about ourselves. Do it not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. Look what he's telling us. He's telling us that in the end, we are not working for earthly treasures. We are laying up treasures in heaven. We're making an eternal difference through our efforts. That's the goal. That's why he left us on earth. If it was about collecting material stuff, man, he would kill you and take you out of here. Because you know what the Bible tells us? It's all going to burn up with a fervent heat. That's naked I came into the world and naked I shall leave. Right? We don't bring anything in and we don't take anything out with us. So it's a waste of time if that's our focus. So God's saying, no, no, no. Lay up those things that are eternal. Lay up those things that are eternal. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that point. You see, in order for the Levites to literally be able to thrive in their cities, they absolutely required or needed these suburbs. Not only, listen, to provide for themselves, but also to function as a buffer, a buffer between them and those that were around them. Today, we've recognized the fact that these cities were places to dwell. There's no doubt about that. God's made that very, 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 very Clear for us, a place where, listen, God's servants can experience peace and rest. And though they were to be among their brethren, spread out amongst them, at the same time, God intended for there to be a level of separation, a division between them and those that they were around. And so we recognize the fact that God's trying to show us something. These suburbs were key because it allowed for God's word to be consistent from the Old Testament. To the new, because guess what? God has the same advice to us today. We're supposed to love the community that we're in. We're supposed to be a light to them that are in the darkness. We're supposed to, to, to minister to them, to give of our goods, to, to, but to work hard. But at the same time, we've got to remember that if we're not careful, we can lose sight of why we do what we do. We can drop our barriers and get outside of those suburbs, and we can not have any separation in our lives. And guess what? We'll get consumed by the world. If you're to be a light, we must make certain that the world is not encumbering in and blocking the light that's supposed to shine. Because certainly it is for other believers to experience that light. But can I tell you, the most important reason why you have a light is for the lost person that's looking at your life. It's why we need to be consistent in the way that we live. It's why we need to have a place of rest, right, to recharge our batteries. Because can I promise you, when you go out in the world, it's going to beat you up, Amen. right? Who's ever gone to work and come home and just been like, I feel like I have been in a war? Gracious me. I'm like, you're just like, hey, honey, I And you're just beat up. It's like going as I always try to imagine it's like this. We go out into the world, and it's kind of like you're a battery, right? And in the morning, you get charged up, and you go out. And you know what people start doing? They start walking up with these little clips, and I start going, click, 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 click. And they start connecting to the battery. You know what they're doing? They're sucking it dry. And throughout the day, we're just like, ugh. Uh, uh. And they're draining us, and they're draining us. Oh, you know, I got another problem. Can I can I this? Can I uh, uh you do and all of it drains us. And by the end of the day, we're just like, ugh, uh, oh, uh, I just need to plug back in. Oh, I need that place of rest. But imagine if you're worn down, you're beat up, and you're coming back and you go, I need that rest, and you walk in the door and it's chaos. Is that what God intended for our place of dwelling? No. no. We should go back and you know what? It should be a place where God is glorified, That's right. where he is honored, mm-hmm. where love abounds, where forgiveness is easily given, where mm-hmm. mercy is on display, where grace is the order of the day. Mm-hmm. And we walk into that place and we say, wow, you know what? This is my dwelling place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know why it's so awesome? Because the Lord... <laughs> is there. That's the key. If he's not, I can promise you it's going to be chaos. Mm -hmm. Peace and rest comes in Jesus Christ. In your personal life, when you're walking through the world, but oh boy, in your home, it's essential. Because you know what? We can all hold out for only so long. We need a chance to recharge. That's why when you come in here, sometimes we're beaten up and you know what God does? Okay, I'm ready. And next time you come in, you're and we and we go out again. And week after week, but you know what's cool? When you get really, really charged up and you're really, really sanctified, and you're really, really focused on that peace and rest. You know what? People can come to you outside of the church doors and they can plug in. You know what you can do? You can charge them up. Because you're not the battery but you're connected to the battery. And he never runs out. He's always at 100% charge. He'll never get a warning light on Jesus. He's always boom, boom, 100%, 100%, 100%, 100%. The problem is we don't plug in. It's available to us every single day. We let people plug into us, and you know what we do? Ultimately, we say, you know what? I know you want to plug into me, but you know what I really want to do is I want to get you to the source. Let me get that. Let me disconnect that. Click. And you know what's cool then? Hey, man. Now they get to function off of Christ, and that's the goal of ministry, right? We're just a conduit to get people to Him. He's the one that heals. He's the one that restores. He's the one that fulfills. He's the one that, that expands and helps lives to become greater than we ever dreamed they could be possible. And so what a hope becomes, what this church becomes is nothing more than a place where we say, hey, guess what? We want to get you there. What's discipleship? Let's get you there. What's counseling? Let's get you there. Because guess what? This source of power never, ever fluctuates. It never wavers. It will be 100% from here until eternity. It's available to every single one of us. So my question for you is this. How is your dwelling place? How is it right now? Guess what? You control. The Bible says don't give place to the devil. It says don't open the door and let the devil in your house. There's battles taking place in people's homes right now, and you know why? Because they have, ah, come on in, buddy. And the devil's like, I've just been waiting for this opportunity. Thank you so much. I'm coming. But you know what? Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Just shut the door. And guess what you know? The Bible says he'll run away. He doesn't want to be near your home. The problem is if we don't, we just draw him in. And when he's there, boy, you know what he wants to bring? Division, separation, and chaos. God is a God of unity. That's always the message, a God of order, mm-hmm. right? Not the, not, the Bible says he's not the author of chaos. We know who the author of chaos is. So if our home is chaotic, it's not because God's in the middle of it. It's because Satan has found a way in. So what you need to do is say, you know what? I'm going to pay attention to all the places where those doors have been open, and I'm going to slam them shut in the name of Jesus Christ because you have no power, just so you know. Yeah, right. Don't be like, devil, get out of here. He's like, ah! <laughs> I love it. Say it again. Come on, say it again. <laughs> devil, get out. He's like, ah! I love it. They think they have power. This is awesome. You Guys, come here. Look, 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 look. Watch. Devil, get out. <laughs> it never gets old. But we say, you know what? Devil, get out of here in the name of Jesus Christ. The power of Christ. Man, when Jesus comes in, man, there's nothing that can stand against him. His power oversees everything in this world. Yes. But we don't call on him. We try to do it ourselves. Peace and rest. It's available to us all in our homes, in our lives. But what's key is those suburbs, the separation. Because if we're not careful, we'll open the door and invite the enemy in. But you know what separation does? It keeps them away. And it's surrender to God, submission to the Lord. It's holiness, it's righteousness, it's time in the Word of God, it's time of prayer, it's time of reading. See, God's compelling all of us into a place where we would abide with him in holiness. No doubt about it. That's what he wants for us. Be holy as I am holy, he says. And then you know what? He said, hey, guess what I want to do? I want you to thrive. In order to thrive, you need to have those suburbs. They're going to be essential for you to provide yourself a spiritual place where you can be fulfilled, but also be protected from the enemy that wants to destroy you. You see, he wants our hearts. He wants our lives suburbs, at all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you, God, for gifting us with the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the truths that you have revealed to us. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit being here. Mm -hmm. I I pray, God, I pray for my brother or sister who's going through something right now, who, Lord, needs to be lifted up. God, that they would hold on to the truths that your word has revealed to us. God, that we would carry it into our lives as we leave this place. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to be motivated and be charged when we're here. But as soon as we step out the doors, boy, we start to get drained. Oh, but God, you are the source of power. You're the source of light. You're the source of love, the source of peace, the source of rest. I do pray that, God, we would help ourselves to be mindful of who it is we need to depend upon. It's not ourselves. It's not even our family. It's you. You are our source. So, God, help us. And, Lord, I do pray that you'd watch over this church. Oh, Lord, while I'm not here. God, I know that they're in very good hands, the leadership that's here. And, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would live surrendered lives during this time. And that, Lord, you'd minister to and through our lives to the community around us. Father, for those that right now today feel like they're carrying a load, those that are struggling with chaos perhaps in their homes, I would ask, God, that you'd help them, Lord, to recognize that window, that door that's been left open that invitation to chaos. And Lord, I pray that you, through the power of Christ, shut that door. And Lord, help them to focus on that love relationship with you, that you would be there and that that city representing that place to dwell would be a place of peace and rest. And Lord, they would establish suburbs around their home, Lord, that would sanctify them and set them apart and they would use the word of God to establish them. Lord, that they might be, yes, a light in the community, but, Lord, not so much in the world that it would impact them. Lord, help them impact it for the glory of God. Help them make a difference in the lives of others. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what it represents. I thank you for what it's done in my life and so many others. And I thank you, Lord, most importantly, for your spirit and for your word. God, you have done a work today, and I'm thankful for you. Lord, thank you for helping me just to get out of the way. I do pray, Father, that you'd bless and use us mightily today in the days to come. And, Lord, I pray for those that may be here. Might he be here today and say, listen, I don't know where I stand with God, perhaps. Listen, there are people that believe in God. There are people that believe they're saved. They've said a prayer, perhaps. But there's a difference, right? The Bible talks about a peace of God which passeth all understanding. And it says it will keep our hearts and minds. But can I tell you, if you're counting on a prayer that you said as a child or some ceremony that you went through or something that someone told you, can I promise you, guess what? The Bible says, by their fruit, she shall know them. There is an experience of peace and rest that as children of God, that's ours to have. If we have sin in our lives, we will not experience peace and rest. But if you're not, if you said, listen, I just want to know God. I've never really known peace and rest. There's a good chance you've never actually received Christ. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. He died for you. He loves you. If you're listening to this recorded or you're watching this online, Listen, there's no magic prayer involved. It's nothing more than a willing heart crying out to a loving God. And can I promise you, He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. So their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. There's no magic in the prayer. The words will mean nothing. There's no ceremony to it. But your heart is what God's listening to. If with your heart you want to receive Christ, He will receive you. He will save you and redeem you and bring that peace into your life. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, Repeat after me in your heart and mind. Remember, not speaking to me. Speaking to God, I can do nothing for you. Let's speak to him together. You repeat after me if you want to receive him. Speak in your heart and mind. Dear Father, I believe that you love me in spite of all of my sin. And I also understand today that Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth, came with the purpose of dying for my sins. And though I've never asked him to do so today, today, I beg him to save me, to pay my sin debt and to redeem me from my broken condition. God, I believe that you are who you say you are. You have the power to save, that you died on a cross, that you were buried in a borrowed tomb and then you were raised from the dead and you sit on the right hand of the father. As we speak, I pray upon your power to save my soul and to give me a home in heaven. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.